Welcome to uh, week two of Vital Signs, right? This is just a fancy name for a book study in 1 John, okay? So if you have your Bible, go to 1 John, uh, put your hand on chapter 1, and then uh, flip over to chapter 5 real quick. Um, And this is uh, a verse that's going to be the theme verse, as Dave pointed out uh, last week. This is why John wrote this letter. Frankly, it's why we're preaching this sermon series. It's why we're studying the book. So if you have your Bible with you, keep turning, maybe make a note. We'll read things on the screen just so we're reading the same version, but would highly recommend you bring your own Bible, read it for yourself. And if you don't have one, just while we're reading this verse, uh, you can just put your hand up and one of our ushers would bring you a book from the back, a Bible, a holy book, the book from the back. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, consider that our gift to you. So uh, read along with me. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up and we'll get you one. First uh, John chapter 5 verse 13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know that you have eternal life. This is why we study this book. This is why John writes this letter. Uh, and throughout it, he's going to uh, purpose. His, his role or his goal is to assure and to affirm uh, those who are true believers in their faith. He gives evidences uh, or proofs. We call them uh, vital signs. Uh, as to the, the, the true faith in Christ of a believer. Uh, so you don't have anything to go and do after these sermons, which is a good thing, right? These aren't prescriptions, they're proofs. They're not commands as we apply them to our life. These sermons, this series, in effect, are retroactive, right? Uh, they're not prescriptions, but proofs, not commands, but confirmations. Uh, and so on a weekly basis, as we go uh, slowly, by the way, uh, chunk by chunk through First John, uh, you'll either answer this question yes or no. And the question will be, is this vital sign true in my life? Is this true in my life yesterday? Not my intentions going forward, right? Um, but is this true of my life as I bring all of my life to the seat that I'm sitting in now? And so the answer might be no. You might realize or discover, as Dave said, that you're not truly in the faith. By the way, that's a harsh concept, but it's not an unfamiliar one to Scripture. Paul writes uh, in his second letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, he says this, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. And he says, test yourselves And how much more gracious could Scripture or a preacher be than to reveal God's Word and teach God's Word in a way that would make us finally and and truly say, yes, I I do need Christ. And if these vital signs are true of us, if we put our, uh, our, our, allegorically speaking, uh, our two fingers on the pulse or, or check the respiratory system of our spiritual life, and we say, yes, this vital sign is true of me, as Dave also mentioned last week, we have a joy that comes with that assurance, don't we? the greater faith in Christ that comes with that assurance. Uh, so if, you have, uh, if you're in 1 John, go to chapter 1, and we'll start with the first chunk out of the gates, building on the foundation of our joy of assurance from last week. 1 John 1, 5 through 5-7 says this, This is the message we have heard from Him, that's Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is, say that with me, light. And in Him there is no what? That's the last one I'll do, but thank you. At... All. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the summary that we're going to unpack 
this morning from those three verses and primarily from verse 7 is this, that God is completely, utterly, remarkably, powerfully holy. Uh, John doesn't leave it at just, in him there is no darkness. He doesn't put a period. He adds a Greek word, udemie, right? Uh, And that means at all. It's a powerful negator of a word, right? He's not just saying, in him there is no darkness, period. He might have written one, etched it out, and went, there's none at all. Udemie, there's zero shades of gray in our holy, bright uh, God. Uh, the second thing that I would unpack is as a summary that God is, yes, holy. And then the second thing, as we look clearly at this uh, very short passage, is that God expects nothing less of us. Because we are to walk in the light as He is in the light. Um, so here we see our first vital sign, okay? And the first vital sign, according to John, of the spiritual life is sensitivity to sin. Sensitivity to sin. As we look at verse 7, we're going to focus on three words. Walk, as in conduct, what is expected of us, as he, as in comparing our conduct and, and our particular brand of holiness, that there aren't varieties of holiness. We are to be holy as he is holy. It gives us the quality of holiness that's expected of us. Then we're going to look at the term blood of Jesus, and that's going to imply a lot of things that might actually provide a solution toward the end of our time this morning. Um, So we see that our sensitivity to sin comes originally, that your sensitivity to your sin comes originally, initially from God's holy hatred of it. Because again, in him is no darkness, udemie, at all, and any shade of gray is an offense to a holy God. We see in Habakkuk 1.13, we're told that your eyes, Lord, are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness. So what is it about this holiness or this light of God? All throughout Scripture, God's holiness and even His glory are described by light. Uh, you might remember in Exodus 34, Moses' face, it, sh- it glowed, it shone after meeting with God on Mount Sinai. What was that? That was a reflection of the the radiance and the glory of a holy God. And that would last a while and dissipate. We see in Psalm 104, O Lord, you cover yourself with light as a cloak. Matthew 17, Matthew describes the transfiguration of Jesus, his physical body being made a holy body, going up to heaven. He says this, his face shone like the sun and his garments as white as light. Our God is holy. As a matter of fact, his holiness is the primary message of Holy Scripture. The holiness of God is the primary message of Holy Scripture. It's why we have revelation at all, is to first and foremost point us to God's holiness. God is most passionate about His holiness. Do you know that God is more passionate this morning about His holiness than about fixing our problems? Do we, do we know that? Do we believe that? Do we know that God is more passionate about his holiness than seeing a, a sinner saved, that the Lord works in pretty sovereign, powerful, mighty ways in terms of even righteousness and justice, even in all fairness? The Lord is holy, and his holiness is his number one top priority. And so the Bible has a lot to say about his holiness. We'll kind of take a tour through scripture, if you would, and we're going to put side by side God's Powerful, utter, remarkable holiness, right? With our sin. 
Because John's going to get further into the, this idea of sin. This is actually a, a, a first of a three-part look as First John deals with our sin. And he, he, he begins talking about darkness and light. So we need to take our time and slow down and not glaze over that there is no darkness in him at all when all we know and all we are is only darkness. So how in the world is he going to reconcile those two things? Let's look first at his holiness. We're going to go shotgun style through chunks of uh, Scripture here just to kind of wash over our our minds uh, all of Scripture and the whole counsel of Scripture in terms of His holiness and then get back to 1 John passage. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like Thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like Thee majestic in holiness? Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let the let them praise their, your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king of, uh, is in his might, loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. First Samuel 2, 2, there is none holy like the Lord. Psalm 48, 10, your right hand is filled with righteousness. Isaiah 6, 3, and one called to another as we read earlier this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory. Revelation 15, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Revelation 4, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes, all in and around, all day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That scripture tells us that God is love, that God is spirit, but never that he is love, 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 or spirit, 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 but over and over again we see in scripture from both man and angel, that God is holy, holy, holy. I called A.W. Tozer to get some help on this, and this is what he said to me, slash wrote in a book. He says, What of God's holy character? It's his purity, but that's not enough. Is it his moral excellency? Well, compared to who he writes, and then no matter who you compare him to or to whom you compare him, that's not enough. And is it his truth and his righteousness, justice and fairness? That's, that's true, but it's not enough. Is it his eternality, his, his pre and his self-existence? Well, yes, but those aren't enough. Another theologian says, if he were to tell us how white he is, in our terms this morning based on the text, how bright he is, right? If he were to tell us how white he is, He would have to translate it down into a dingy gray. Our God is holy. Our God is holy. And there's a devastating element to his holiness. And this begins our journey through scripture as we look at God's holiness compared to and and up against our sin. That this is, as we take this journey, all hands and feet inside the car at all times, right? This is the first sign that we come to, that, that while God is holy, there is a devastating element to his holiness, and that is his demand of you, his demand of me, his demand of all creation. Leviticus 19.2 says, you shall be holy, for I am your God, I, your God, am holy. 
The word walk, that if we walk in darkness and, and we say that we're with Him, we're liars. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we can have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ cleanses us. That term walk is a very Hebraic idea, meaning it's not just simply walking. It, it connotes a, a moral conduct, a way of life, a lifestyle. The word is peripateo. It's comprehensively walking around. Walking around everywhere. What does that mean? That means a current and constant pattern of our life. Do you realize that we're not told to act holy? We're told to be holy, not just on Sunday morning, but on Friday nights and Wednesday afternoons, that everywhere we go comprehensively, wherever you walk around, you are demanded. If you are to have fellowship with the Lord, fellowship with, with one another, if we are to have fellowship, we too are supposed to walk have current and constant pattern of, of life in the light. Second turn we make is this, that walking in the light, being holy or godly is a problem because we are only and always capable of darkness. There's a theological term called our depravity, all right? This is the bad news. By the way, the good news is only as good as the bad news is bad, right? And so here's the deal. Jesus is going to show up. This is going to get good, but right now it's very bad. Right now, it's very bad. We are depraved um, because, again, we're not told to just be holy or act holy. Or he, didn't, he didn't even just say, be holy because I'm your God. He says, be holy as I am holy. That's the quality of holiness that's expected of you. And that's a problem because of, again, everything else we read in Scripture. Romans 5. Go with me here. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through that sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I'm speaking to everyone in the room, just so we're clear. Okay. Ecclesiastes 7. There isn't a righteous man on earth or woman who does good and never sins. Second Chronicles 6. There is no one who does not sin. James 2, if you're having a good day, this verse is for you. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of the law. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked in case you want to claim your good intentions. Romans 3, none is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one even knows how to seek for God and all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Malachi 7.20, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from within and defile a person. And I will add, as Scripture makes implicitly, even explicitly clear, inside and defiles a person from birth. This is our nature. Identifying with the lifestyle lived in the darkness, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. There's something about the darkness that hides behavior that we might otherwise be ashamed of, isn't there? Recognizing the gap between God's expectations and our abilities to please Him and to be holy, Job 37 says, teach us what we shall say to Him. We cannot draw up our case because of darkness. Shall it be told him that I would speak? Did a man ever wish that he would be swallowed up? Did you plan a meeting with me and God? Are you trying to kill me? Is what Job is saying. 
To put a nice black bow on this, Romans 3, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is the utter, remarkable, power, awe-inspiring, perfect holiness of God. These are the the qualities of holiness that he expects from you this morning. The same qualities of of holiness that he has, by the way. Uh, This is our natural state. We are depraved and, and totally incapable of coming anywhere close to what he expects. So what will a holy, and I'll add now, righteous God do? This is the terrifying element of God's holiness, is that he is, in fact, righteous. And so he therefore will punish every sin. Our God is holy. He is graceful. He is love. He is kind. At the end of the day, he is also, not in any diminished way because of his grace and love and kindness, he is also righteous. And a fair and holy and righteous God cannot, will not let any unrighteous, ungodly behavior go unpunished. This goes back to Christ's blood cleanses us, and that'll be an implication for a few minutes later. God's righteousness is highlighted here by his punishment of sin. He must, and a matter of fact, that's what you and I deserve, or if not for those who believe in Christ, would deserve. Amen? Amen. I think of Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I feel like I'm starting to sound like him a little bit, and so I'm channeling my, my inner uh, 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 hellfire and brimstone because, again, this is what Scripture makes very clear. Here's a quote uh, from Jonathan Edwards. This is back in 1741. A small church during the, the Great Awakening was not responding to what would otherwise be a, a, this massive revival in terms of awareness of sin, a sensitivity to sin. And there goes this little church with like these spiritual barriers all around it, totally unaffected. They make a call. Jonathan Edwards comes in. And how does he stir up their sensitivity to sin? He appeals to God's holiness in terms of what they deserve. This is what he says. Your wickedness makes you, as it were, heavy as lead. And to tend downward with a great weight and pressure toward hell, and if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence, your best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell, then a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. Before we think that his words are overstated, you might recall in Genesis 6, the Lord saw the wickedness of man and was great on the earth, and every intention of the thought of the heart of man was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on earth and grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. This is in the Bible. And the Bible is true. This is what man deserved. Proverbs 7, it continues. Scripture continues. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. 
1 Samuel 15, the Lord commands Saul, go attack the Amalekites, destroy them and all their possessions. Don't have any pity. Kill them, kill their men, women, children, even their babies. Slaughter their cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. This is an allegory. As we look back at the Old Testament, all the surrounding pagan peoples, they were pictures of sin. How will we treat sin in our lives? That the people of God were to be holy, set apart, and pure. And this is a picture of how we are to treat sin. Anything that would threaten the purity of conduct, of worship toward our God, is to die. But much like we do in our lives, Saul Saul saw some beautiful things and kept the best things for himself. And we're told that the Lord rejects Saul. That's what God deserved what what would otherwise we might describe innocent men and women and families. That's what, that's what they deserved. Malachi 1, instead of offering the acceptable animals you have promised me, the Lord said, you bring me those who are unhealthy. I will punish you for this because I am the great king, the Lord, all-powerful. You give me things that don't cost anything. You give me things that, that, that don't match up to how worthy you say I am. And I will punish you for this. Second Samuel 12, remember when David sinned? Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned. Nathan was the prophet and he's being honest. He's repenting. Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan answered, the Lord has taken away your sin. Praise God for his grace. You will not die, but what's worse? But what you did was cause the Lord's enemy to lose all respect for him. For this reason, the son who was born to you, even worse than his own life, being taken. The son that was born to you will die. These are the consequences of your sin. And that's what he deserved. 2 Samuel 6, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God that he loved and took hold of it for the oxen nearly upset it or turned it over. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. God struck him down there because of his error and died there beside the ark of God. That's what Uzzah deserved. He was told not to touch such a sacred element of the presence of God. And so the Lord took his life. The Lord took 70 people's lives just for looking at the ark earlier in 1 Samuel 16. Joshua 7, and Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak of Shinar, 20 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, and I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden inside my tent with the silver underneath. Skip down a couple verses, and they brought him, Achan and his family. They were all complicit. They were all in on it. They all lied. They brought them to the valley of Achor, and Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones, burned them with fire, stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. You might remember in Exodus 19 that uh, Moses goes on the hill to meet with God and receive the law. Earlier he had said, hey, this is holy ground. Just take off your tennis shoes, right? This is holy ground. But the Lord would have 
an extended command for all the people that Moses would have to share. And he said, listen, guys, I'm going to go up and meet God. And God's presence is going to show up. It's going to sanctify the whole area. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth is sanctified in that sense, right? God is making a point, however. And so if you guys even come close to the edge of this mountain, whether beast or man, you will die. All throughout Scripture, God hates things. We're told clearly he hates idolatry, pride, lying, divorce, evil plans, disunity, empty religion. In Leviticus 20, uh, he spends a few chapters lining out the actions of of man, uh, and the Lord condemns child sacrifices, divination, and sexual immorality such as adultery, homosexuality, and promiscuity. Anything that doesn't align with the holy design of God receives his punishment. Verse 26 of that chunk in Leviticus 20 through 26, he says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from all the peoples, and you should be mine. And wherever they diverted from that, God would punish in ways that aren't popular to talk about and in ways that uh, don't make the cover of the throw pillows and the coffee mugs. But it's him and it's true and it's what we deserve because we did not give him what he deserved. But that's the Old Testament, right? We're under grace now, right? Uh, We can be. Uh, this, however, is the same God after Jesus. Acts 5, the story of the first church. Jesus has come and gone, offered forgiveness by his blood. And in actuality, having been here, begins the church, sends the Holy Spirit. And then we meet Ananias and Sapphira. A husband and wife who plan to, to make an offering to the local church goes up to Peter and says, Hey, here's an offering. We sold our land. Here's all of it. Verse 4, the end, he says, You have not lied to man, because they kept some for themselves, but you have lied to God. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard. Sapphira would walk in several hours later, and Paul or Peter would say, uh, I know what you did. You didn't lie to man, you lied to God. And there's people coming right now to get your body and take you to be with your husband. She falls over dead. That is what she deserved because she did not give the Lord what he deserved. Were, were, they, were they condemned for their sin? No, they were still in Christ. They were not walking in darkness, but they stepped into darkness. And the Lord, to preserve their faith, took them out of this world, expedited them to heaven. Their sin received not condemnation, but punishment. One theologian puts it this way, sin is cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly pure sovereign or ruler. It is an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us uh, life itself. Have you ever considered the deeper implications of the slightest sin, of the most minute misdemeanor? We are saying no to the righteousness of God. We are saying, God, your law is not good. And it's having a glimpse of the holiness of God, the gap between what he expects and what we're capable of offering him, and the fear that comes with his sure punishment of all sin that leads us to have a sensitivity to the way we conduct our lives. You'll notice, I didn't say this is the, the whole of our sensitivity to sin. I said this is where our sensitivity to sin begins. It's where it's initiated. 
I was installing the first dimmer switch I'd ever installed in my old house. Um, and I was having some trouble because I installed it and, and I, I used the dimmer and the lights just went all the way on and, and I kind of put it in the middle and it was either on or off. Uh, put it slide it all the way down and all, the light was off. It was dark. And so I figured I have to you know, install it again, take it out, make sure all the wires, maybe I'm missing the wire that like, allows it to have gradients of light, right? Like I have the, the polar you know, wires connected, but not the middle wires, whatever that means. I was like, maybe that, that has something to do with it. Um, so I very quickly learned it, was my, it wasn't my handy skills, though that was a surprise, by the way, and I was relieved to know that it wasn't me. And, and I would soon realize that the problem wasn't the dimmer, it was the light bulbs, so you have the fan with the four lights, and it's like massively bright, and I wanted a little mood lighting uh, in my, you know, to control the light, not so bright, but not like super dark, a dimmer switch, right? We all love dimmer switches, and so I, I, I sought to do that uh, and come to realize that it wasn't my handiwork, it was in fact the light bulbs, and I had those older CFLs, right, the compact fluorescent uh, uh, lamps, um, that the correct terminology was for my father-in-law because he sells light bulbs, and I think he'd be impressed with that I know what CFL stands for. Uh, but, but those older CFLs, the non-dimmable kind, right, uh, they don't work. Matter of fact, if you look closely enough, it says not to be used on dimmer switches. They're, they're, these aren't dimmable. Matter of fact, it's dangerous. It's like flipping a light switch on and off like super fast, uh, and, and that kind of current will, will make a, uh, an older non-dimmable CFL explode. So not only is it ineffective, it's an extreme fire hazard. Here, here's the point. I think in an effort to control or tame or defend the bright and blinding glory and holiness of God, we, we tend sometimes and we have the tendency to install a dimmer switch on His glory. Here's what I mean, that, that we know that God is great, and even on Sundays you can slide that puppy all the way up and make it bright, but in certain places around certain people, I don't want it dark, don't get me wrong, right? Like, I love God and His holiness, but just put it about three quarters of the way up. Practically, what I think that could look like in our lives is we don't use words like sin or wrath. Uh, we don't really believe that God sends sinners to hell. We don't really read the Bible as an inerrant, authoritative word from God. We just nudge the dimmer down a little bit. We focus on the, the big or the public sins in our life. We overestimate our good intentions and we underestimate the perfect standard of a holy God. And we continue in sin. When the light gets more dim, our sensitivity to our sin follows. If we allow the bright and the blinding holiness of God to be what it is, because His bulb, so to speak, does not dim. We cannot dim. We can think we're dimming it, but the holiness, the bright and blinding holiness of God cannot be dimmed. It is either off, so to speak, by our ignorance of it, or it is on by the fact that it is always on in our awareness of it. And from there, we acquire a proper sensitivity to our sin. 
Proverbs 9.10 is where we, we read, like I mentioned a minute ago, that fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, right? Wisdom isn't just smarts or education. Wisdom is this concept of, I know what life is all about. I know how to live life. And to put it in a, in a, a God uh, kind of uh, connotation, you would say that in that sense, if I'm wise, I, I know God, I know how He tells me to live, and I respond appropriately. That's, that's wisdom, is to know the way of life. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom, really understanding why you're here, how this thing works, what's going on behind the scenes. And fear is a necessary part of having a proper sensitivity to our sin. Seeing God in bright and blinding holiness with udemie, none, no darkness at all in Him, and then recognizing that we're not supposed to just be holy, but holy as He is holy, that we're supposed to be as bright a light as Him, that, that His nature would become our nature. We, every day before our kids get out of our car, uh, we say things that they probably, uh, they're so rote, they probably don't even hear it, but I pray they do. Uh, and some days I skip a day just to make sure it kind of it's, it's a little different, but I'll say be light and leaders today. Be leaders, do the right thing no matter who goes where or does what. Like be your own, be, have conviction, be, be a leader today. If someone needs the right thing to be done, you be the person that does it. And then be a light be godly. Be all the things that God's glory encompasses. Exhibit the holiness and the godliness of the God that we serve. And then to see Him in, as a perfect version of that and us as a totally incapable version of that should remind us that, oh no, we can't match up and oh no, He punishes every sin. Oh no, I need help which brings us to the place to receive Jesus. This is the problem that you and I started that the Lord fixes. He doesn't leave us with the fear of the Lord alone. Uh, he, he, he doesn't uh, leave us broken in sin, slaves to sin. He does something about it, and that's the good news this morning. Everything I've said has to be said. Everything we read here has to be read for Jesus to, to sit on the platform as high as He is intended to sit. Romans 6.23 preaches the gospel for us. And this is our positional holiness. Do you know that you can be holy this morning? You can be holy this morning. Two ways. One is positional, legal holiness before a holy God in Christ. Romans 6.23a. The wages of sin is death, period. No? The wages of sin is death, comma. It's my favorite comma in the entire Bible. Go on. Romans 6.23b says this, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How are you holy? I am holy. As Ryan said, I can approach the throne of God with confidence. Humility, because I know where I came from. I know what I, in fact, do deserve, Right? In humility, but with boldness, because I am His in Christ. I am holy now. I stand before you preaching God's Word as a completely unworthy but holy man. We can also be experientially holy, meaning it's not just a label on our forehead. We can actually start to live this thing. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. 
Guys, this is the good news of the gospel of Christ dying for sin, going to sit at the right hand of God and standing in the gap for you and I being our high priest and our advocate. Any time we sin, as we're going to read in the, in, in the next chunk and next week, every time we sin, we have an advocate in heaven saying, God, don't worry. No, 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 no. Don't zap him. Don't destroy him. Don't end his life and send him eternally to hell. He's mine. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what I deserve when I, when I offend God with the smallest misdemeanor is death. In either this life, if he's gracious enough to allow me there and just end this life, and if he's gracious enough to save me from the pit of hell, which is real and it exists and people go there, then it'll only be because I stand before him as a child of God in Christ. Jeremiah preached this in the Old Testament. He said, I'm going to write my law in your heart. It's not going to be something yelled down from heaven. I'm going to make you want to be holy. So the first reason, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have an external reason to be holy. God is watching you. He is. No, He really is, and He cares about how you live. But you know what's even better? Is God not yelling from heaven, but putting His Spirit in us and saying, Hey, don't you want to be holy today? Man, yeah, I do. I'm really bad at it. But, but for some reason, I want to be holy today. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in us, making us truly holy. We're getting closer to measuring up to God's standard, aren't we? In Christ, He's saving us, and he's, He has saved us. Uh, the band is going to come up now. We're going to sing a song that kind of wraps up our, our study and our look at God's holiness as compared with our sin. I hope it's heavy this morning what, in fact, we deserve. Is it heavy this morning? Is it heavy? It should be heavy this morning. And then I want us to feel the weight lift off of our shoulders when we hear about Jesus. Is it light in here this morning? If we have a sensitivity to sin, it began because we saw God as holy and we had a right view of ourselves as sinful. Do you have that vital sign? Are you sensitive to your sin? Is it a fear only or do you sense a grace of Jesus Christ where you repent? You might receive punishment. Lord, have mercy on me today. But, but there is no condemnation for those in Christ. I might even encourage you to pray this prayer. Lord, reveal anything in me that doesn't honor you. Would you be so brave to pray that prayer? Lord, reveal anything in me Anything in my conduct, in my walk, that doesn't honor you. I don't, want to, I don't want to offend a holy God. And I would warn you, don't offend a holy God. He is kind and loving, but he is very much righteous. And his standards aren't going to go down. Every sin of yours will be punished, either by you in eternity, or you can, by faith in Christ, redirect God's wrath on your sin toward Christ on the cross. Those are the only two options. Your sin will be condemned either way. By you in hell for eternity or on Christ on the cross for three hours. And being God powerful enough to raise again and sit at the right hand of God and lead his church. 
Let me read this, and the band's going to sing this song. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy.